Well, welcome again to First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, my name is uh, David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And if you are worshiping in any of our venues this weekend, I want to say welcome to you, uh, especially if you're a first-time guest. Uh, if you're here for the first time and you have any questions about the life of our church, I'd love for you to stop by one of the connecting points uh, right outside the worship space. Uh, we'd love to answer any of those questions and, and just meet you and, and again, welcome you. Uh, this is the third weekend in a series called Saved. We started it several weeks ago. Uh, and in that first message, I, I shared with you the introduction. I talked about what, what this journey was going to be like for us. We said that we were going to look at Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Romans. Uh, that's the sixth book in the New Testament, about that far through uh, in your Bible. If you want to turn there, if you have uh, the Bible app on your phone or mobile device, you can also find that there. Uh, but we said that the, the focus of this series was, was talking about what's next after we say yes to Jesus. So we're looking at how Paul describes several components of the Christian life as found in, in Romans chapter 12. So last week I shared with you a bit of the outline of this eight-week series. So we had an introduction in the first week. I said that in the last five weeks of the series, which starts next week, we're going to walk through Romans 12 piece by piece and look at these different components of the Christian life that Paul outlines there in Romans chapter 12. Which leaves us two weeks, this week and last week, in which we said what we were going to do is uh, work on establishing some groundwork, on building a foundation that we were going to uh, look at even further as we look at Romans chapter 12. And we said that the reason that we need to do that is because in the first verse of Romans 12, what Paul, t what Paul tells us is that what he's about to tell us to do in Romans 12 is built on everything that he has told us we need to know in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So Paul's been walking through, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, God's mercy and God's grace, seeking to offer an explanation of what that is for us. And then on that foundation, after he establishes that groundwork, Paul then moves into a section into talking about what we are to do as followers of Jesus. So we're spending two weeks, not 11 weeks, two weeks looking at that foundation, talking about that groundwork, looking at God's grace, because what Paul says is if you don't understand that, you won't understand anything he's about to tell you. Every, uh, every one of the prescriptions that he offers for the Christian life of what it means to, to shape your life around this new identity won't make any sense to you at all if you first don't understand God's mercy and God's grace. So that's the work we started last week. And we're going to wrap up this week, that, that foundation and that groundwork. So if you weren't here last week, a quick review. The simple idea that was at the heart of the message last week was that grace can only be understood by those who believe they need it. Grace can only be understood by those who believe they need it. And grace, what we're talking about, is we're talking about unmerited favor. We're talking about God's love in action towards us. And the people who truly understand that, who grab hold of it, are those who see themselves in need of that gift from God. So we said that the scriptures teach us that we all need Grace. Every single one of us here today, every single person who inhabits our planet, every single person who shares the human condition, we all need grace because we are people who are, are, are people of good intentions but often make poor decisions. 
Do you see that dynamic at work in your life? Do you see your good intentions often being undermined by sometimes poor decisions? That's what we all live with. That is the human condition that we all share. We are created with an immense capacity for good, but we have a will that often takes us in, in a different direction. And that's, that's a condition that we all share. We all stand in need of grace. And the scriptures teach us that when we come to faith in Jesus and we start to grow in Jesus, that capacity for goodness, that capacity for pursuing those intentions in our life, that capacity actually begins to grow as we grow in grace. As we walk with Jesus, as we follow the prescriptions that Romans 12 is going to outline for us, that our capacity to do good things, to pursue good things, to think good things, to, to live in the right way, that actually begins to expand and grow but that we never grow beyond grace. Regardless of how long you walk with Jesus, regardless of how long that, that relationship has, has been in your life, you will never come to the place where you wake up and go, I got it. I'm a, I don't need any more help. I'm, I'm, I've got it all by myself. We always, always stand in need of grace, which means that for me today, I needed God's grace. I need God's grace as much as I did on the first day I said yes to Jesus. That's all of us. We all stand in need of God's grace. That's the condition that we shared. We grow in grace. We never grow beyond grace. That's what we looked at last week. The other thing that I shared with you last week, just for your, for your understanding of what we're going to look at, we talked about that one of the themes in Romans is that Paul is addressing the, the tension and the controversy between Jews who have become Christians in this community at Rome and Gentiles who have become Christians who were sharing this same community with, with those from a Jewish background. And one of the key questions between these two groups was the question of the Old Testament and the laws that had directed and ordered the lives of those who previously were Jews who had come to faith in Jesus. The question was, how many of these laws were still applicable to us in our new way of living, and how many of the old laws were applicable to Gentiles who didn't come from that same cultural background? And so that's the controversy that is, that is happening within the church at Rome. Now, this is very important. The argument is not whether or not the law is good or bad. That's not the argument that Paul is addressing. What Paul is addressing is the question, the laws that ordered and structured the life of Jewish people who had come to faith in Jesus, are those still things applicable for everyone who's a part of this new community? And here's the basic argument that Paul is making. That faith in Jesus is not about keeping the law, it's about responding to grace. So that's what Paul is addressing while he's also talking about God's mercy and God's grace. And you need to know that, or otherwise some of the, what we're going to read is not going to make any sense. So we're going to dive back in at Romans 3.21. I left off last week at verse 18 in, in chapter 3. So we're, we're very close to where we were last week. If you were here last week, remember I shared these, this great and wonderful news with you that no one is righteous, not even one. No one pleases God. Remember that part, that, that, that very discouraging part of Romans chapter 3? That's the bad news, and now Paul moves into the good news. Here's what he says, beginning with verse 21. He says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing that you might notice, uh, if you're following along in your Bible, just just hearing that out loud, is I I probably just shared several words with you, but you have no idea what they mean. I mean, they're big church words. Like, if you were in Sunday school class, there'd probably be a quiz over these, but you may have no idea what redemption means, and righteousness, and the law, and the prophets, all these things that's that's here in this text may have no no understanding for you. So let me see if I can add a little bit of clarity here. Let's, Let's start with this word, righteousness. What does Paul mean when he uses the word righteousness? So when you see that word, I want you to think about someone who is morally or ethically good, someone who does the right thing, someone who lives their life with a sense of integrity, meaning that they not only do the right thing one time, but they do it on a consistent basis. They pursue that with their heart and their mind and their actions. They act in a right way. That's what it means to be righteous. And this word justified What Paul means by justified, again, a word you probably didn't use in a sentence this week. That's just my guess. But if you think about working with a word processor program, and when you justify the text, what happens? You bring that text into alignment with one another. And so what Paul is saying is that we have been justified. We've been given righteousness, justified meaning we've been brought back into proper alignment with God. This separation that we experience because of the human condition the fact that we have good intentions, but we make poor decisions, we deal with the, with the uh, challenges that come from those poor decisions, the harm we cause others, the harm we cause ourselves, the, the guilt that might be churned up, the relationships that don't go the way we want them to, all of those things that could create a separation. What Paul says is that when we're justified, we're brought back into proper alignment with God. That's what righteousness Uh, That gift is, that's what justification means. So when you think about righteousness, you're thinking about someone who not only does the right thing, but someone who thinks the right thing, who who is, is pursuing that with their heart and their mind and their soul and their strength. And what Paul says is that the law, the order and structure that we find from the Old Testament, the goal of it was to point us towards that, to point us towards righteousness, to point us towards living a life that would please God, where we would not only do the right thing, but with our heart and our mind, we would pursue those things as well. And what he's saying is the law never got us there. The law couldn't get us there because we are people who who deal with the human condition. We are people who have good intentions, who want to pursue that, and yet we make poor decisions, decisions that we ourselves can't even explain at times, and we find ourselves following a very different path. So the law was pointing us towards that, but the law couldn't get us there, Paul says. That's why Jews and Gentiles are alike, are under sin, he says. But what he says is this, that now, apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been made available as a gift to those who believe in Jesus, who claim faith in him. So this thing that we have been pursuing all along, he's addressing the Jewish community here, this this goal that we have had for our life that we could never quite achieve, what God has now done is given us that gift, bringing us back into proper alignment with God for those who claim faith in Jesus Christ. Now it is a gift that is given to us by God. So turn over to chapter 5. Here's, uh, he continues on, on this theme. He says, therefore... 
Again, word therefore is a very important word. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been brought back into proper alignment with God because we claim faith in Jesus. There's a couple other things that go with this. He says, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained the second thing. We've gained access We've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. In other words, we now have a brand new perspective on our life and the purpose on our life because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's what's happened. Jesus has come to give you the gift of what you have been pursuing all along, to make available to you that thing that you could not achieve on your own, that that status before God that you could never earn on your own. Jesus has come to give it to you. And because you now have it, whether you know it or not, Because you now have it, whether you know it or not, there are some things that come with that. The first thing is peace. You have peace with God. So this this back and forth, this tension that we all experience in our life, this this war between our intentions and our decisions, the, the good that lives within us and the evil that it seems to always be right behind it, this desire to do the right thing but the will that often takes us in the wrong direction, the decisions that we cannot explain, those, those moments where we find ourselves in places we never intended to go. What Paul says is that battle, there can be peace peace there. There can be peace there. That that there is now a process, which we're going to get to next week. There is now a process by which grace can grow in your life. And there can be peace in that battle that is within you. You can now have peace with God because you have been justified. You've been brought back into proper alignment with your creator. And that peace comes not because, well, you can just sin all you want to now and God's going to forgive you, but rather there's a process by which you can begin to change the tide of that battle within and begin to live in a brand new way. And the second thing he says is you have access. So where you may previously or right now, where you may experience a barrier where you may feel like there is a wall that separates you from God, where where you may, in approaching God, experience a door that is shut to you. The gift that has been available to you in Jesus is that that wall has been broken down and the door is now opened and you have full access to the love and grace of God. And so if you experience right now a wall or a closed door, it's not really there because Jesus has dealt with that. Jesus has changed that situation. He has broken down that wall. He has opened up that door to a new way of life. And because these things have happened, we now have a brand new perspective on our life. 
If life is, is about this tension, this war between the good and the evil, then, then life can very easily devolve into this, this exercise in maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. But Paul says, that's not what life's about anymore. Life is bigger than that. Your life is about more than a birth date and an end date, that your life is now caught up in something that is much bigger than yourself. And so you have a whole new perspective on the situations and circumstances that you walk through, whether they be moments of celebration or moments of sorrow, things that are going well or moments of suffering, we see them in a brand new way because our life is now bigger than this, this, this flesh and bone that we inhabit. It's, a, it's much more than a, than a beginning date and an end date that you were created for eternity. And so we have a brand new perspective on life. And then verse six, here's what he says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Why were we powerless? Because we're stuck in the human condition. Uh, we, we can't get past that on our own. While, while we had no ability to fix ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this way, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, here's what that means in the scope of your entire life. That means that before you were born, before you were even a thought in your parents' minds, before they had picked out a, a name for you, perhaps a boy's name and a girl's name because they didn't know what you would be, before they had fixed up the nursery or made any preparations for your arrival, but before you had taken your first breath, your first steps, before you had given your parents incredible delight, and before you had led them to moments of great suffering and prayer, before any of those things happened in your life, what the scriptures tell us is that there was a portion of grace that was set aside with your name on it waiting for you. It was prepared long ago and set aside specifically just for you. A measure of God's grace and love that was reserved with your name on it before you were uh, in anyone's mind, before you'd done anything in your life, before you'd done anything right or anything wrong. There was this grace made available, set aside, reserved just for you. Because God knew that you would need it. God knew that you would need it. And so before you had the chance to please God, before you had the chance to, to, to maybe make a poor decision that would not only harm yourself or someone else, before any of those things happened, that grace was set aside just for you. That's what it means in the scope of, of your entire life. But let's, let's think about it just in the scope of today. Just today. It means that before you woke up this morning, before you had that first thought, whether that thought was, I can sleep in today, or, oh no, I've got to mow the yard today. Before you did anything in the morning, decided what you were going to have for breakfast, before you said that first word that may have been shared in kindness, or it may have been shared from a different place in your heart, before you did anything, there was grace set aside, prepared, and reserved for you today. 
grace that would not only be there for you in that moment where you found yourself in need of it because of a poor decision, a poor choice of words, or grace that you would need to face a temptation or a challenge that you might face today or you may have already faced. That grace was already there, reserved, ready to go for you while you were powerless before you could do anything right or anything wrong before you could earn it or before you found yourself pursuing a very different direction. Jesus set aside that grace for you. That's the gift. That's the gift that has been made available to us because of what Jesus has done for us, bringing us back into proper alignment with God, giving us peace and access and a new perspective on our life. So last week we said that out of this idea that we're all in need of grace, And that grace only makes sense when we see ourselves in need of it. We said that the defining characteristic that grows out of that is this sense of humility. That people who really grab hold of this, they they live with great humility because they recognize that they're no better than anyone else. and, And that people aren't less than they may think they are. They don't make themselves more. They don't make others less. But they live a life of humility. They live... They live not only receiving that grace, but sharing it and seeing others in their life as people who also need that grace. This week I was visiting with someone and we were talking about this idea of humility and we added a word here that I think helps us understand where humility takes us in our life, that we not only begin with humility, but, but we might also add to that, that that the other characteristic is empathy. That when we grab hold of grace, that, that we need grace, that everyone needs grace, it gives us the capacity for empathy in our life, to, to see what others are going through and to recognize that that, that person lives with the same condition that I do. They, they have great intentions, and they make poor decisions. And the same struggle that I live with is the same struggle that they live with. And so I can walk a mile in their shoes. I can understand what they're going through. When, when they say they're sorry for that, I, I know that they really are, because I know what it's like to be in that place. There's this, there's this empathy for others for what they're going through and this desire to share that same grace that we ourselves have received. There's humility and there's empathy. So what would we add to this list today? What would we add to humility and empathy as we, as we talk about the characteristics of a, a person who really gets grace? What would we add? I think, I think two words, both of which begin with the letter G, neither of which is the word guilt. I got to tell you, I don't understand expressions of the Christian life and the Christian story that invite people to guilt. I don't understand that because I, I, that's, that's just not how I get it. That's not how I, how I think about it. I, I think guilt often paralyzes us. It doesn't do anything for us. It, sometimes guilt shocks us back into the right frame of mind, but, but guilt doesn't motivate us. Guilt doesn't really transform us, and I don't think that's God's goal in this whole process is to lead you to guilt. Oh my gosh, I'm such a mess. I need someone to help me. Guilt is not... It's not the goal. But here's two words that I think might be. The first word is gratitude. That when we see grace in this way, when we recognize that, well, today when I woke up, there was grace there for whatever I needed. But that leads us to a life of gratitude where we see our lives and everything that we do, every decision that we make, every interaction that we have with others, we see it as a way to express gratitude to God because of what God has given to us. 
When you really grab hold of grace in this way, you recognize that you haven't earned anything. But all of life is a gift from God. This moment is a gift from God. The fact that I live and breathe today is a gift from God. The, the fact that I can face whatever it is I have to face today is a gift from God. And, and today may involve a great celebration or today may, may involve incredible suffering. But whatever involves, grace will be with me and is, and is available to me and is enough to carry me through whatever it is that I have to go through. There's gratitude in there. I think you'd also say that there's, there's this, this characteristic of generosity, that when you, when you really grab hold of grace in that way, when you understand what Paul's trying to, to teach in the first 11, 11 chapters, you realize that, that Jesus was the most generous person that ever lived, and, and that that is, in fact, the characteristic that people should see in me as well. That if all my life is a gift from God, if God's given grace and, 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 and is, and is going to fuel me to do whatever it is that I need to do today, then, then how can I not be exceedingly generous with my own life, with my attention and my time and my resources and, and all that I have to give to others who, who are sharing the same condition I am, who are in need of the same grace and and part of the measure of grace that they may receive that day may be what I give to them. So humility and empathy and generosity and gratitude. And here's what I want to ask you today. Because again, next week we're getting to the meat, right? Like we're diving into Romans 12. We're going to walk through these components of the Christian life. We're going to walk through what it looks like to, to grow and to see this, this grace expand in us. So, but before we do, let me ask you this question. To what extent are these characteristics evident in your life today? To what extent do people experience you as a person of humility, a person of empathy, a person who lives with a great sense of gratitude, someone who is, who is generous? Because, because when you grab hold of grace, when you really understand what Paul's trying to tell you in the first 11 chapters here, these are the things that grow out of our life, humility and empathy and gratitude and generosity. When we get it, when we fully understand the story of what God has done in Jesus, it's humility and empathy and gratitude and generosity. To what extent do people see those in your life? Do they see you as a person of humility, someone who, who, who can listen and give attention to the things that are going on in their life, recognizing that, that, that you are just like them in need of God's grace. The ability to empathize with, with you. Do they see you as someone who, who lives with a sense of gratitude and, and they see that expressed in, in your life every single day? And are you generous? Are these the things that drive your life? Are these the characteristics that define you? And here's the harder question. If there's a deficiency in any of these areas, so you may look at that and go, man, I got one for four, one for four. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm batting 50 for 500, I don't know. You know, you may look at this and there may be a few that you think, okay, I'm doing okay in this area, but maybe there's others where you feel like you're a little bit behind where there's a deficiency. If there is a deficiency in any area, this is the harder question. What are you missing about grace? What are you missing about grace? What is it? that God would want you to see about his abundant love for you so that that could become more evident in your life. Maybe, maybe today you, you, you feel like there is a wall 
there's a separation. And maybe you know where that wall came from. Maybe you can think of the exact moment or the circumstance that you walk through in life that, that for whatever reason you feel like it hasn't been dealt with. It's still there in the back of your mind separating you from full access to that love and grace. That's something that everyone else in your life has forgotten about, but you haven't forgotten about it. And maybe it's something that God forgave you for and forgot about long ago because of grace, and you just need to let that go. Maybe when you're uh, at home and you're paying the bills and you're walking through the checkbook, you just have this sense that there's not going to be enough, that, that you're going to run out. There's this scarcity to life, and what God would want you to see is the abundance of his grace and his care for you, that you would see him as good and as worthy of your trust. What is it that God would want to reveal to you about his character and his grace? so that these characteristics could flow out of your life. Because here's the idea. If there is something that we're missing about grace, there will be something later that we're going to talk about, about what it means to be a father, that will not make sense if we don't understand God's grace and his love for each of us. And so this week, my challenge to you is to think about those characteristics. If you have the courage, ask someone who you trust of where they experience that in your life. And, and as we walk into the next five weeks of the series, that we would go forward with the attitude and the prayer that says, God, reveal to me the fullness of your grace so that people might not only experience these things in my life, but that I may fully capture what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we address you today in that way because we believe that you are loving and that you are full of grace. We believe, Lord, that you are good and that you are worthy of our trust and that the grace that we needed for today and the grace that we will need for tomorrow is already set aside, reserved, and available to us. God, where there may be falsehood in our thinking, where we may be carrying around assumptions about you and our relationship with you, or even about ourselves that are wrong, we pray that you would reveal truth. And that somehow, Lord, you would give us the ability to see ourselves and our circumstances and our life not from our perspective, but from your divine perspective. Remind us, Lord, today of those whom we love and we treasure. And help us to see, Lord, that you feel about us the same way that we feel about them. Reveal grace, Lord. 
so that we can in turn live as you have called us to live and pursue the life of faith that you have outlined for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.